If you have a Bible, open to Isaiah chapter 42. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me. We'll be in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Many, many years ago, I was on my first backpacking trip in West Texas in the Guadalupe Mountains National Park. I was with friends that were well-equipped because they had done this before. It was my first trip. I was not well-equipped at all. And the evidence of that is that I was wearing plastic grocery bags around my sneakers to keep my feet dry. And the reason I had to keep them dry is because it was Thanksgiving. It was cold. There was probably three to four inches of snow on the ground. Not ideal for your first backpacking trip. But we went, we get to our camp that night, and when the sun went down and the temperatures dropped below 30 degrees, this Florida boy was scared to death. But really, when the sun dropped and it got cold and dark, the question that we began asking is, how are we gonna stay warm all night? We really had two options. We could build a fire, or we could light our propane little stoves that we had to cook food every night on this backpacking trip. But both of those options weren't really good options because all the wood that we would have built a firewood with was wet in the snow. And our propane, we only had enough to last for this couple nights would be out and we needed it for dinner. And so as the night wore on and our fingers and our toes grew colder, and mine, being from Florida, very numb, there was a third option that came to us for light and warmth. And that was, in a couple of hours, the sun would rise. And when the sun rose, it would provide a much superior and far more sustainable supply of light and warmth in the middle of this very less than optimal condition that we were in. We had three options, but there were really two. There were two options for light. There was the option of the light from within, from the resources that we had, that we could try to produce it. 
And then there was light from the outside, independent of us, that would come. Those are the same two options that you and I have in our world today, in our world of darkness, in your life that has darkness in it. There's two options for light. It's light from within, whatever form that takes that you can muster up, or it's light from the outside. In the last half of Isaiah 41, the light that comes from within is called an idol. And that just simply means it's, an idol is a man-made God. It's a God substitute. It's, it's anything that you would look to or any person that you would look to to dispel the darkness from our world or from your life. That's the light from within. This is actually a very common, popular idea in our culture because the one thing that no one argues in our world is that things aren't right, especially in the last several years. Right? Things aren't right. It's broken. Nobody would argue that, but there's light that, you know, whenever there's a tragedy in our world, why do people have vigil, you know, candle lights? Because there's this idea that light will push out the darkness. The problem in our culture is that most of the light we talk about is from within. And, it, and it's phrases like, the light's inside of you. Right, or the truth is in there. You just got to discover it. You got to find it. Problem is, at the end of Isaiah 41, the last verse, verse 29, says this. Behold, they, meaning the idols, or light from within, are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Meaning they don't work. That, that light from within doesn't work, and you're going to see why in a second. So what does? Verse 1 of chapter 42. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. God's servant that he's speaking about here is Jesus Christ. It says Jesus will bring forth justice to the nations. In verse 6, it says Jesus will be the light to the nations. That Jesus Christ is the light, and notice what it says, that he will bring forth justice. That, that phrase, bring forth, that verb, that doesn't mean justice that you find within or that you muster up. Bring forth means it's from the outside. It's something completely outside of you that comes to you. That's the light that's being spoken of here. Light from within doesn't work. Light from the outside does. The question is why. In a world where there are all kinds of answers to the problems we have and all kinds of versions of light that'll dispel the darkness, God said there's only one light that will dispel the darkness. That's Jesus Christ. The question is why? Right? Why is Jesus the only true light that can dispel the darkness that we're all very aware of? There's two reasons. First, Jesus rightly diagnoses the darkness. Verses two and three set up this, this huge contrast between the man-made gods or idols, that light from within, and God's servant, Jesus. 
Verse two says, he, speaking of Jesus, will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. The word cry aloud means to shout. The phrase lift up his voice, that means to dominate or to shout others down. The phrase make it heard in the street suggests self-promotion. What an accurate description of how people try to fix problems in the world today, especially in our current culture. We shout, right? We shout, whether we don't do it verbally, we do it on social media, but that's the world we have now is we shout at each other. We shout at those that we believe are the problem. We shout at those that represent what we think is the problem that needs to be fixed. And what does all the shouting reveal? What does all the shouting down and the dominating and the bullying, and what does that all reveal? It reveals a wrong diagnosis of the darkness, a wrong diagnosis of the problem. Philosopher Al Walters explains it this way. He says, the great danger is to always single out some aspect of God's good creation and identify it rather than the alien intrusion of sin as a villain. What's that mean? It means a lot. The real darkness and the real problem is technology. That's why we're in this mess we're in, right? Or the real problem, the real darkness is the government. If they just get their act in order, we'd fix all of our problems. Or, or the real problem or the real darkness are the authority figures in our world. Abusive leadership, that's the real problem. We just fix that, right? Or the, the real problem, the real darkness in our world are all those conservatives or all those liberals or all those independents, right? They're the real problem. Or the real problem, the darkness is our economy. If the economy would just get fixed, we'd be okay. Now, I could go on and on with that list. Now, if one of those things is the problem, how do you fix it? You shout. You shout till somebody hears, or you shout and get enough people to hear so enough people shout and get on social media, whatever it may be, right? You shout the problem down. Problem is, and if you've, maybe you've never shouted, I have, I think we all have. When you shout, are you ever part of the problem? No. When you shout, you're never a part of the problem. You're just shouting at the person that is. There was a pastor when he was a teenager he had an older man speak into his life. And this older man said to this pastor when he was a teenage boy, he told this teenager, he said that he didn't know as much about himself as he thought. And that's pretty accurate for teenagers. See, that's accurate for everyone. And he said because he didn't know as much as, about himself as he thought, he told him he probably would never change. This boy got defensive and he got his, you know, his feathers ruffled, but the older man didn't stop. 
He pressed into him some more and he said this, there are things about you that can never change. The reason you can never change is you can't see them. And the reason you can't see them is that, they're, that you are using them to see. He said, what does that mean? Well, let me point out one problem that we all have. Maybe you all don't. Maybe I'm the only one that has this problem. If your problem is pride, you can never see your own pride. And the reason you can't see your own pride is because you're using your pride to see. And as long as you're using your pride to see, you're never wrong. There's never a problem. What we're talking about here is darkness can't diagnose darkness. This is the reason why the light from within approach to dispelling darkness doesn't work. There's not light inside of us. And inside of every one of us, there's darkness. It's called sin. And darkness can't diagnose darkness. So Al Walters goes on to say this. As far as I can tell, the Bible is unique in its rejection of all attempts to either demonize some part of creation as the root of our problems or to idolize some part of creation as the solution. Jesus rightly diagnoses the darkness as the alien intrusion of sin that has profoundly affected every one of us and left us bruised and left us faint. Verse three, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. To Jesus, nothing is useless. Even a bruised reed, which is useless to support anything, says a bruised reed he will not break. To Jesus, nothing is useless, and yet, when you think about the, the light from within approach to solving our problems, and you think about over the past several years, all the shouting, all the shouting down of others, all the bullying, all of that shouting and that approach tends to use bruised reeds to promote an agenda. Bruised and hurting people are, are put out front. They're paraded out front to promote an agenda or to, to make things right, to prove a point. And then when that point is proven or that agenda is, is satisfied, they're discarded. That's not who Jesus is. That's not how Jesus operates. And yet we even see an example of this in the scriptures in John chapter 8. The religious people of the day in the first century, they were called Pharisees. They found a woman that was caught in adultery. And they took this, they found this woman and they dragged her out of the house. And they dragged her out into the public before Jesus and attempted to use her in her very bruised and broken state. They tried to use her to prove, an, to prove a point and to promote an agenda before Jesus. Jesus. 
And the reason they did that is because they had misdiagnosed the darkness and the problem as merely outward and behavioral and not inward and motivational. So as very buttoned up religious people, they saw this woman and they saw darkness and they saw a sinner and they were gonna use her to prove their point to Jesus. And they didn't see their own pride. The pride that lurked deep in their hearts, they couldn't see it because they were using it to see. You say, what happens when we misdiagnose the problem? What happens when we misdiagnose the darkness? We do exactly what those Pharisees did in John 8. We shout. We shout at others' behavior. We use people and we shout until we try to get what we want or the solution we're looking for. You are neither useful or useless to Jesus. Let me say that again. You are, you are neither useful or useless to Jesus. Jesus doesn't treat you as a commodity. He treats you as a loved human being in the image of God with dignity and value. And that's why he brings tender healing to your bruises. And that's the first reason why he's the only true light that can dispel the darkness. There is no resource in you or around you. There's no person around you that can dispel the darkness. Only Jesus can. Only he can bring true healing. But there's a second reason why he's the only true light that can dispel the darkness. That's because he's the only one that has power over the darkness. He's the only one that has power over the darkness to actually do something about it. There's this theme that develops in Isaiah 42. It's a theme of despair. It's a theme of hopelessness. We see it in verse 3, the faintly burning wick, the bruised reed. But then it goes on to verse 7 to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. You've got faintly burning wick. You've got bruised reed. You've got blindness. You've got prison, dungeon. Right? All of this is imagery that has one common theme, and that is powerlessness. The faintly burning wick does not have the power to bring the flame strong and robust again. There's got to be air from the outside to do that, right? The person that is blind can't heal their own blindness. The person that's in prison can't unlock the prison door and set themselves free. They're powerless. This is why the light from within approach doesn't work to dispelling the darkness. You don't have the key to unlock your prison door. You don't have the key. Only Jesus does. And some of you maybe have been trying this approach because I will just 
make this abundantly clear. Every person in this room has some prison of darkness that you're in, you've been in. That's just life in a broken world. You don't have a key to open the door, and yet maybe you've tried. You've tried to garner every resource from within, around you. It hasn't worked. And maybe it's just left you hopeless. Maybe you feel like you're too far gone or too far gone for change. There's no way you can change because you're locked up. You've tried every resource possible. If that's you, then the good news in this passage is great news for you on Christmas Eve. There's a word that appears in the first four verses of Isaiah 42. It appears three times. It's the word justice. And it's the same word that appears in Exodus 26.30 describing the plans for the tabernacle or God's blueprint for his tabernacle, his temple. God has a blueprint for this world. And God has a blueprint for your life. And what this passage says is that justice or that blueprint is going to be accomplished. And that Jesus won't stop until he reorders this world, until he reorders your life to match that blueprint, which is his image. That that's the work that Jesus is doing. You don't have the power to reorder your life, but Jesus does. And how does he do it? Verse four, he, Jesus, will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice, his blueprint in the earth. How does he do it? Well, verse two, it's not by shouting. It's not by bullying. It's not by imposing demands on you. Then how does Jesus do this? Verse four, he will not grow faint or be discouraged. That word discouraged is the word bruised. It's the same root word of the word bruised in verse three, bruised reed. He will not grow faint or be bruised. Now you say, wait a minute, but Jesus was bruised, right? Yes, he was. He was bruised on the cross. He was bruised on the cross. Verses three and four are establishing this huge contrast. Verse three says that you and I are bruised by sin and locked in a prison we can't get out of. Verse four sets up the contrast. Jesus was bruised by sin, but not his own. He was bruised by your sin and locked in a prison called death called the tomb, but he was locked in a prison that he got out of called resurrection. And when you trust him, when you trust Jesus, when you abandon all of the light from within and the resources you've been trying to trust in an attempt to find healing, and you put your full trust in Jesus Christ, he unlocks your prison. He sets you free, he gives you new life, and he begins his work of reordering you until he establishes his blueprint in you, which is the image of Jesus Christ, 
which he is committed to doing. Former well-known accomplished poet Lucille Clifton wrote a poem in which she pictures herself trying to keep her eyes closed, ignoring the truth and staying in the darkness. And at the end of the poem, there's a voice telling her at the end of this poem, you might as well answer the door, my child. The truth is furiously knocking. Now, I don't know what kind of dark prison you may be in on this Christmas Eve. Everyone has a dark prison of some sort. And maybe your prison is something that only you know. Maybe it's something you've wrestled with that, that nobody else knows. Maybe people do know. I don't know what your prison is. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an addiction that you can't get free from. And it's left you hopeless. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship that you've tried to get out of numerous times and you keep going back and you can't get free from it. Maybe it's just a pile of guilt and shame and deep regret that you can't undo. Maybe it's a career that's consuming you and ruining your marriage and ruining your family. And to take you back to where I began in that cold, dark night on my backpacking trip, maybe you have, so to speak, tried to light a fire, but the wood is wet and it won't light. Maybe you have tried to light the propane, but it's all out. And there's one option left. And that is that the sun is rising. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is knocking. The light is before you. He's come. That's what we celebrate on Christmas Eve. The question tonight is, have you received him? Have you welcomed him? Because on the other side of trusting Jesus is hope and new life. Let's pray. Father, we are so quick to run to resources within us, to run to resources around us, to dispel the darkness in our lives. For many of us, we have tried over and over and over, and it hasn't worked. And Father, maybe there are those that are here tonight that are weary of trying, weary of trying to dispel the darkness that they see in their heart and their life and the world around them and are longing 
for light. Father, would you work in their hearts and draw them to the place of welcoming your son, Jesus? Father, would you bring new life on this Christmas Eve on a holiday that's filled with so many tra traditions that are, that are beautiful and good. But would you break through the veneer and, 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 and work deeply in hearts to bring new life? Jesus, would you dispel the darkness in our hearts, in our world? And Father, as we turn now to singing and lighting candles, would this not just be a candle lighting ceremony? Would the light that we see in this room in the midst of darkness be very tangible to our eyes? And would the realness of the light in this room remind us of the realness of your son, Jesus Christ, who is alive right now and changing lives and changing this world? And would we rest our hope in him? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.